Chapter One of Roman Color Detective. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Roman Color Detective by Grace and Harold Johnson. Chapter One. Father Timothy Devon assistant at St. Mary's Parish, sat on the edge of his bed while he changed into an old pair of trousers and a white t-shirt. He stood up, gave a final tug to his belt, and walked the three steps around the foot of his bed to the only window in the small room. Squinting his large brown eyes, he looked into the low, mid-August sun, which had turned the schoolhouse windows into sheets of gold. There was a glint, too, on the short brown grass on the ball field beyond the playground. Grass turned crisp and ready to fade, with the first touch of frost. Three more weeks, and school would start. Then the yard would be full of shouting, laughing children, happy at their games under the watchful eyes of the sisters, who were now away at their mother-house for the summer. A smile flicked across his generous mouth as the picture formed in his mind. But tonight other activity would be taking place in the yard. Men and women would be there in place of children, and they'd be busy erecting booths for St. Mary's Summer Festival. Father Tim turned away from the window at the sound of a heavy tread on the stairs, followed by a brief interval of quiet, and then another thud. The uneven clumping sound of legs not putting the same amount of force into each step. His eyes softened. Bill shouldn't be climbing those steps with that game leg of his. He should have remained downstairs. Surely Miss Kearney would have told him to wait in the reception room. That was the trouble with Bill. He never waited for anything or anyone. Act first, and then think. That was Bill every time. Maybe that was why he'd never talked about the machine-gun wounds he got in his right leg in Korea. Probably he had made some impetuous move to help one of his men, disregarding his own safety. That would be like him. Even at home when they were kids together, Bill was forever getting into trouble because he never thought things out first. Home. What a beehive that had been, with all the action and all the sweetness. The nine of them, seven girls, and then himself and Bill, had made it that way. Dad and Mom must have given up all hope of having boys after Dorothy, the seventh girl, had been born. But maybe they hadn't wanted any boys. Maybe they'd just as soon had more girls. And then to get two boys so unalike that no one would take them for brothers. Bill, heavy-set, athletic, not more than five-ten, with black wavy hair and black eyes, and a temper, too. And himself, tall, skinny, never much for sports, hair like a torch, and a face blotched with freckles. Nobody had to tell him he was slow going. Even Aunt Martha had needled him about how long it took him to say Mass, but he reminded her gently that Christ had hung on the cross for three hours. From outside in the hall came the heavy tread, followed now by a long scraping sound, a few more thumps, then fingertips tapping at the door. Come in, Bill. The door opened, and Bill Devon entered the room. How'd you know it was me, Tim? You sound like a peg-legged sailor when you walk upstairs. Bill gave him a worried frown. That bad? Maybe not quite, but you know you shouldn't be doing stairs. You should have waited. I was coming down right away. Bill grinned. I suppose you're right. Doc said the leg's coming along swell, but not to make it do too many bends. But you know me, Tim. I'm no good at waiting. Never have been. And I can't say, as that dreary room downstairs is much to wait in. I spent a half hour there yesterday when you were out. 
with old eagle eyes peeking in every two minutes to make sure I hadn't run off with that moth-eaten Davenport. You hadn't better let Miss Kearney hear you call it moth-eaten. She'll skin you. Yeah. Anyhow, I wanted to see what kind of quarters you rate. Bill looked around the small room at the single iron bed, the leather armchair with an adjustable lamp at the side, and the small desk with the crucifix hanging on the wall above it. Tim gave him a wry smile. Hardly worth the climb, is it? Such luxury. I thought you'd rate only a chair and a bed, but a desk, too. Why, there's a desk in your office downstairs. Where'd you scrounge this one? Does Father Kearney know you've got it? Father Tim laughed. I inherited it from my predecessor. If he scrounged it, I'm glad he did. I certainly need it. What for? My work. This isn't a bedroom. This is an office with a bed in it. I do more work up here than I do downstairs. Here's where I do my homework, penance for any idle moments during the day. I had as good quarters as this in Korea. You were a captain, me. I'm only an assistant, but I do have a wonderful view. You couldn't equal that in Korea. Father Tim stepped to the window and held back the immaculate white ruffled curtains. What do you think of it? Bill limped across the room to the window. St. Mary's lay on the western edge of Galton, Ohio, and commanded a view of most of the town. Beyond the church and school grounds, the hill dropped gradually through a curtain of trees to Willow Creek, which cut the town in two. Looking to the right, a mile and a half away, within the bend of the creek, Bill saw the town's two factories with their tall stacks. Above them on higher ground stretched Main Street, its stores and offices, while on the sloping hills on both sides of the creek were the homes their television antenna making excellent perches for the birds. To the left on the rolling hillsides lay green farmlands and pastures, with barns and houses here and there. Fringed on the distant hills were trees to frame the picture. Not bad, Tim, not bad, Bill said. In fact, you've got a million-dollar view from a three-dollar room. Father Tim turned, placed his hand on his brother's shoulder. Shall we go? Okay. As they started for the door, Bill stopped and looked at his brother. You're not going out in those clothes. Don't tell me you're one of the work crew. A gentle smile flitted across the priest's face. It feels good to get into old clothes like these once in a while. You know I've only worn a Roman collar for thirteen months. I might ask, why aren't you in uniform? You've been at Aunt Martha's three days, and as soon as you arrived, you got into civilian clothes. How come? Self-defense, I guess, Bill laughed. Everywhere I go in uniform, some character corners me. Look, Captain, I was in World War I or two, And then for the next hour I get a blow-by-blow -blow account of how that hero won the war. I see your point. From outside came the sound of cars sliding to a stop in the schoolyard, car door slamming and a mumble of mixed voices. When they reached the first floor, Father Tim said, Wait here a minute. I want to get a hammer out of the kitchen utility drawer. After he rejoined his brother, they walked slowly through the back hall and went out the side door. This will be a busy night, getting things set up for the festival. It's Father Kearney's one money-raiser of the year, and it takes a lot of money to keep the school going. Of course the festival doesn't raise what we need to run the school, but every bit helps. I suppose there are lots of headaches connected with it. I wouldn't say that, but of course there's always something that goes wrong. We usually weather it, though. Father Kearney's got a bunch of good workers, men and women, and they make the whole thing possible. 
It's the same old faithfuls each year, and they know where everything is stored and just where it belongs. Then what are you doing in the work outfit? Stick around and you'll see, and don't let my costume worry you. No one will pay attention to it, but you should see the kids' eyes pop when they see Father Kearney in work clothes. They walk through the garden to the schoolyard. Nice place here, Tim. Where do they set up the booths? On the other side of the school, that level piece of ground the kids use as a ball field. From out of nowhere, an eleven-year-old boy appeared, walking beside Father Tim. Hi, Father. Father Tim looked down with surprise at the big blue eyes, the uncombed hair, and the scrawny arms sticking out from a faded green t-shirt, on the front of which was lettered, St. Mary's. Hello there, Muscles. Where'd you come from? I was here all the time, Father. So I see. Muscles, I want you to meet my brother, Bill, a captain in the Army. Bill, this is John Patrick O'Rourke. Muscles to everyone. You fly the jets? Bill laughed. No, Muscles, I'm just in the infantry. Oh. Father Tim rubbed his hands into Muscles' hair. Muscles hasn't decided yet whether he wants to fly the jets or become a priest. I can see why you'd go for the jets, Bill said. Most kids do. But what makes you think you want to be a priest? For a minute, Muscles scuffed the ground, towing up the dust in silence. I'd like to be like Father Tim when I grow up. Father Tim's hand pressed down gently on the boy's head. Muscles is my right-hand man. Whenever I need an altar boy in a hurry, I can depend on him. And he's always on time, too. Aren't you, Muscles? Yes, Father. He's right end on my football team, a little bit light, but in there fighting all the time. Bill raised his eyebrows. Your football team? Yes, I coach our grade school team in the county parochial league. You what? Father Tim shot a cool glance at Bill. Remember that desk in my room? I mentioned my homework. There are books on every subject, and I can read. Bill laughed. I get it now. Father, Muscle said. Mr. Linton says someone stole some of the pipe he made to stand from. He said he had it all bundled up when he put it away last year, and the bundle was open when he went to get it. He said to ask you if you know where it is. Father Tim grinned. Does he think I stole it? Oh, no, Father. I'm sure he doesn't, but he just thinks you might know about it. How about it, Father? Did you scrounge some pipe? Bill asked. Father Tim shrugged his shoulders. I haven't the slightest idea what became of it. Most of the stuff is stored in a room in the school basement. I'll have to find Linton and see what's missing. If you don't mind, Tim, I'll sit over there on that packing case and wait for you. Give my leg a rest. Sure thing. I won't be long. I know you've got a lot to do, so don't worry about me. I'll watch and put up your circus for a while, and if you don't find me around when you return, you'll know I went back to Aunt Martha's to listen to the ball game. Cleveland's playing New York tonight. Okay? Fine, Bill. The young priests and muscles walked across the field to where John Linton and two other men were standing beside a pile of steel pipe. Almost in unison, the three men said, Good evening, Father. After acknowledging their greeting, Father Tim nodded toward muscles. My informer here tells me some of your pipe is missing. Linton, a short, heavy-set man, gray-haired, went into a detailed account of how he had tied the pipes and put them away after last year's festival. And now two twelve-foot lengths are gone. There was a ninety-degree elbow at the end of each pipe. Two elbows are missing. 
but two have been taken off and put back on the pile. Linton lighted a cigarette and looked at Father Tim. Know anything about it, Father? No, I don't. I wonder. Linton laughed and cut in. I've been wondering, too. How about Dutton, the custodian? We can ask him. He's over there helping with the Sodality Girls booth. When the question was put to him, Dutton looked uneasily from Linton to Father Tim. It's like this, Father. You remember last spring you said there should be a drinking fountain out in the schoolyard for the youngsters? I said if you'd get me the stuff, I'd put it in, remember? Father Tim nodded. Well, all you got me was the fountain bracket to fasten onto the school wall. Linton laughed. You believe in miracles, don't you, Father? Certainly. You've got one right here, a fountain with no connecting pipe, giving water. Right, Dutton? The custodian looked from Linton to Father Tim. I needed more than just the bracket, Father, and I remembered about the pipe in the basement. I'm sorry, Mr. Linton, that I took your pipe. That's all right, Dutton, Linton said. I use the fountain every morning after seven o'clock mass, and I imagine the kids use it plenty during the school days. I'll get myself some more pipe. End of chapter one.